0: So today we are going to talk about what you deserve in your adult relationships. But before we get to the introduction of today's episode, let me read what I believe may be the greatest narcissistic medical exit to date. And for anybody new, of course, I am presenting this to you as a podcast host, one who seeks to inform, but also to entertain because of course, yes, I am simply reading a listener email. So it could all be false. It could be confabulated. You name it. But I think this also fits into the category of, if you know, you know, because to my trained ear, and I think to many listeners, this rings of so much truth. Skipping to the end, the writer does say, anyhow, I thought you might get a kick out of this one. And yes, you can use this in your podcast if you like. Keep up the great work. So permission granted. And with that, I truly wish I could create an animation to go along with this because it really would be amazing. So here it is. Hi Tony, I have recently discovered your podcast Waking Up to Narcissism and I'm listening to all of the episodes. I recently heard you talk about the narcissistic exit where the narcissist will fake a medical problem to get out of doing something, etc. I thought this only happened to me. Smiley face. I am a few years out of a over two decade relationship with who I believe was a covert narcissist and she would take a narcissistic exit often. Typically, it was that she would be up all night sick. That's in quotes because there was something happening the next day that she had no desire to participate in. These episodes these episodes would be her lying on the bathroom floor, hacking and gagging into the toilet, trying to make herself throw up. There was one exit, however, that I believe will completely win the internet, and when I look back, it occurs to me just how ridiculous it was. I'm an avid hiker, and she wanted to go on a hike with me. I should have gone with my gut and just told her no from the get-go, because I just knew it wouldn't end well. She's not in very good shape, and is also very competitive. Typically, if she can't win, whatever that looks like for the particular activity, for her, then she won't participate. So I agreed to take her on a short hike, three miles. Granted, it was all uphill on the way out. The day was not warm, and I gave her the rap about drinking water often. Well, she was not able to keep up with me. I wasn't trying to beat her, I promise, and this really made her mad. So she got sick, again, in quotation marks. She was crying on the trail, saying it was hot and that she couldn't go on. And I informed her that we were just about a tenth of the mile. And I informed her that we were just about one-tenth of a mile to the top. And then it was all downhill. Dramatically, she told me that she just couldn't go on another step. I told her there were only two ways off the mountain. And that was one, her legs, or two, a helicopter, because I wasn't going to carry her. Well, the next thing I know, she's laying on the trail and telling me, Yeah, call 911 and get that helicopter in here because I need somebody to rescue me. So that's what I did. I got 911 on the line and said that a hiker was in trouble and needed rescuing. It was all I could do not to laugh in the phone at the absurdity of it all. The firefighter paramedics hiked out to where we were and the helicopter landed at the top of the hill. She got bundled into a stretcher and put on the helicopter and taken to the ambulance at the bottom of the hill and then to the hospital. There was nothing wrong with her, but she did spend the day in the ER. At least it was during COVID, so I got to go home and wait for her to call me to come get her. I was hoping that she would get some astronomical bill to pay for the helicopter ride, but no such luck. Side note, the next day I told her that I would never take her on a hike again. I also let her know that her little stunt was incredibly selfish and stupid because she had an entire fire station, a sheriff's helicopter with pilot and co-pilot and the ambulance staff tied up with her idiotic ploy, and that there must have been somebody really in trouble that didn't get the help they needed. Anyhow, I thought you might get a kick out of this one. And yes, you can use this in your podcast if you like. Keep up the great work. So, I'm not going to say that we're going to talk about even more of those, but I couldn't resist. So, we are going to cover what you deserve in your adult relationships, that and even more coming up on today's episode of Waking Up the Narcissism. Episode 90 of Waking Up to Narcissism. I am your host, Tony Overbay. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and host of a slew, a bevy, a cornucopia of other podcasts. And I would love for you to go check those out. Last week, I just have to tell you on Friday, actually, episode two of Love ADHD, my new podcast about ADHD, getting the diagnosis as an adult with my friend who is a speaker and author and uh, recently diagnosed herself, Julie Lee. And then episode eight of The Mind, The Mirror, and Me with my daughter, Mackie, where we covered embracing solitude. And she did an amazing job. And I think a lot of people that do feel lonely in their relationships, I know that listen to waking up to narcissism would really identify or be able to gain a lot from that episode. So it's about embracing solitude. And then episode four of Murder on the Couch with my daughter, Sydney, which is, it's probably the funniest. And also, I know we're talking about true crime and murder and psychology, but it's also one of, because she does, she covers that in depth. But it's one of the funniest episodes I think I've ever been a part of. If you listen from the start, that would be wonderful. But 10 minutes in, truly, it is one of the greatest moments of uh, for me that I've ever experienced in podcasting for the last eight, nine years. Um, and it's there in audio as well as on YouTube. And I'll include all the links in the show notes. But I really am excited about today's episode. And it's funny to say excited because I, we're talking about really difficult topics. But I just think that what we're going to talk about today will bring some... It will bring some wonderful awareness to what adult relationships I believe should. And I am, I am purposely shooting all over anyone what I think that those relationships should look like. Because I feel like there's almost this underlying theme continually as I on this podcast in particular talking about what a healthy relationship looks like from an actual marriage therapist, because I don't think that anyone has those tools from the factory. So, a lot of times when I'm talking about whether it's my four pillar or moving into differentiation or not needing external validation and all these things that I think that they can sound very exciting and I can get very passionate about them, but I really want to help people understand um, here's what a healthy relationship can and I believe should look like. And there are tools there to get yourself to that uh, healthy relationship, unless your partner is unwilling, unable, but at least you will start to have more clarity about what, uh, what you deserve in a relationship. And it isn't like I'm saying something incredible, like pots of gold and monster trucks and spaceships and everybody living on islands on the beach, but it's being able to be heard and understood and to communicate and have your own opinions and not have to waste so much time and emotional energy and calories trying to defend yourself or buffer for the kids, but I'm getting ahead of myself. So we're going to talk about things that I believe one absolutely deserves in an adult relationship, but I'm guessing are not necessarily part of a relationship with somebody who has extreme emotional immaturity all the way up to a, full-blown narcissistic personality disorder. And um, I know just from seeing the numbers that there are a lot of new listeners every week. So I think it's worth repeating whenever possible. Here's a very quick rundown on narcissistic personality disorder versus emotional immaturity versus nice guy syndrome, which could apply uh, to any and all sexual orientation or gender identity. So the here's the differences very quickly. So narcissistic personality disorder, it's a, it's a mental condition. It's characterized by a grandiose sense of one's own importance a need for excessive attention and admiration, a lack of empathy for others, and that often leads to troubled relationships and a very fragile self-esteem. Now, emotional immaturity, which I like to say that I think we can all um, operate from a place of we're all emotionally immature until we're not, that's defined more by a lack of an emotional development suitable for one's age because we can be very uh, childlike and we may struggle with handling emotions and reacting excessively or inappropriately. Difficulty in understanding and respecting the emotions and boundaries of others and can have issues with impulse control, absolutely not wanting to sit with any kind of discomfort and then needing excessive validation. And then nice guy syndrome, which it could be nice person syndrome. It's typically associated with males, but in in a typical case, it's men who believe that by being nice or passive, that then they are entitled to romantic or social success. So then people with that nice guy syndrome often struggle with expressing their needs or desires directly, and they might employ um, manipulative tactics to get what they want. We call them covert contracts. So continually testing the relationship without the other person even knowing that that's going on, which can lead to harboring of resentment for not getting what they feel they deserve, but not having the tools or the language to be able to express their wants. And that they often lack assertiveness, and then that can lead to some pretty passive-aggressive behavior. So to start today, um, I want to read an email. And I think this email will set the table for where we're going to go for the rest of the episode. So this is from uh, a woman. We'll just call her Amelia. So she says, I hope this email finds you doing well. I've been a dedicated listener to your podcast, Waking Up to Narcissism. And she says, it's about time uh, to put out another murder on the couch. And she said, I hope you read that with some humor um, because I really feel like she is one of the pathologically kind. And she says, but I really love watching your interaction with your daughter. So Amelia, there is an episode out. She said, your discussions on waking up to narcissism have been such a blessing for me during some of the most confusing times of my life. And I'm writing to you now, hopefully to gain some clarity. When I first met my now husband, our relationship seemed like the stuff of dreams. We had all the levels of intimacy that you speak of. At least that's how it appeared. We could talk forever. There was plenty of laughter and plans for the future seemed bright. He has this magnetic charm, a charisma that makes him the center of attention, constantly telling stories that make him appear larger than life. And at first, I was drawn to this, and I found his confidence very attractive. I would notice that the stories would often change, but I just assumed that maybe I was the one who misremembered it. And when I would sometimes try and bring things up to him, he would either laugh it off, oh, you're probably right, or he would start to make me feel dumb in the most minor ways. She said, I never really had a way to identify it until listening to so many episodes and reading other books about narcissism and hearing the examples that you've shared on previous episodes. But as the months turned into years, I started feeling overshadowed. Regardless of where it began, every conversation eventually turned back to him. My achievements, even those that I was incredibly proud of, became footnotes while it felt like his every move was celebrated as a headline event. And whenever I tried to communicate my feelings or concerns, he dismissed them, calling them my overreactions or my emotional outbursts. So, one evening, when I can't remember why, but I was feeling particularly good about myself, I decided to share my dream of writing a book with him, only to be met with a smirk and a patronizing. It's cute. You do. I love your dreams, but let's be real here. You can't even write the yearly Christmas letter without help from me. Side note, Tony, I absolutely abhor. See, that's a good piece of writing all on my own. I abhor the Christmas letter. I don't like it to begin. I don't like it to begin with, but he says we need to do it, even though he claims that he doesn't like it either. But of course I have to write it and I don't write it well enough. So he has to chime in and surprise. He has me add things about him in over and over. He ran this race. He got this promotion. Or if the kids have an accomplishment, it's tied to his coaching them or his making time for them. It's exhausting. But that comment among others slowly chipped away in my self worth. She said, you've touched on emotional safety and many other concepts that have made sense to me, but I'm curious, what role does respect play? And what does that even really mean? He'll often tell me that I need to respect him more. The kids don't respect him enough. She started. She said, "I'm star- I've started questioning whether our relationship has a strong enough foundation to even continue. I'm at a crossroads now trying to understand why I feel so unseen, undervalued, and actually I think I'm the one that feels disrespected, whatever that truly means. I've definitely gone from thinking I'm the problem to, okay, okay, I'm the problem. But by that, I mean, apparently it's a problem for somebody to have their own opinion. I hope you might shed some light on this or address these feelings in one of your upcoming episodes. Thank you for the work you do. Your podcast has been a lifeline. Warm regards, Amelia. Thank you, Amelia. And the timing of your email is really good. I stumbled on an article from Psychology Today pretty recently, and it's called 10 Things You Shouldn't Settle For in Relationships. And it's by Bruce Y. Lee, who is an MD, a doctor and an MBA. And he writes, I don't know if you call them columns these days. Um, There's a section of psychology's today's website where he takes up residence called A Funny Bone to Pick, How to Deal with Life uh, and Careers, Ups and Downs, Including Some Humorous Breaks. And it's humorous like the bone breaks because I think he's a doctor. But this article is 10 things, again, that you shouldn't settle for in relationships. So, I have his 10 things, um, but admittedly, I really am using them, again, more as my own personal muse because I feel like so many of them are essentially the way that many relationships with emotionally immature people slowly become or turn into. And similar to the story, the fable, the wife's tale, I'm not quite sure what it is, but where you apparently put a frog in a pot of water which if that frog just hangs out there without much care, I think there's something wrong with the frog to begin with. But apparently you slowly turn up the water and at some point he doesn't realize he's in boiling water. And uh, honestly, this will be the last time I use that analogy. I've used it in the past because it's really pretty silly when you break it down. But you get the point that your relationship eventually finds its way slowly to a place where you're continually wondering what's wrong with me, trying to find out if there's something that I can do, etc., etc., Which I think actually didn't make sense because that frog analogy seems silly. And I think that sometimes people feel that way in their relationship where it starts off pretty good. And before you know it, they are not even sure what they're doing. Maybe in this pot of boiling water. If you have either already thought of or are currently struggling with the idea of settling in your relationship. And that's what I appreciated about this article. He talks about settling. So settling and by settling, we're defining settling as accepting less than what you want or feel you deserve in a romantic partner. So the question of whether or not you think you should have or deserve a partner who sees you is curious, respects you. I will speak for you right now. I will take ownership of that and say the answer is a huge, big, large yes. So for you, let's start right there. But we'll also play out into uh, that butterfly effect to your kids, to your grandkids. But we'll start there that you deserve that. So, Dr. Lee's article was more about here are 10 non negotiable things to consider when choosing a partner. But I think these 10 things are extremely helpful to be aware of as I believe they are necessary to have in a healthy relationship. Um, now, he, Dr. Lee says, naturally, no partner or solution will be perfect. So, he's talking about the settling that one maybe needs to embrace is settling for some differences in your absolute ideal. But again, he goes into these 10 things that really should be non negotiable. So, the first thing that he talks about is someone who doesn't respect you. I think a general definition, respect is a cornerstone of any healthy relationship. And respect involves recognizing the individuality and the autonomy of the other person, valuing their perspectives and their feelings and acknowledging their boundaries. So we're going to go into that in a little bit more detail here in a bit. But I think putting that out there to address Amelia's email from the beginning, that respect is going to look at recognizing the individuality, which means your own individual thoughts and feelings, the autonomy of the other person, valuing their perspectives. That means there's curiosity there and valuing their feelings, that this is another human being that you're interacting with. I came up with some examples of what this may look like from if you're in that relationship with the emotionally immature partner or even the narcissist, somebody full, full-blown narcissistic personality disorder, if you're in a relationship with somebody who's incredibly emotionally immature, an emotionally immature person might exhibit behaviors like in this scenario by not respecting you, interrupting you often without letting you finish because they just don't want to continue with the conversation, or dismissing your feelings as overreactions or silly, as in the email that I read from Amelia, or making fun of your ambitions or your dreams. And you can see that the more that this happens, the more this pattern occurs, the less that you are even wanting to express yourself to this person that you're in a relationship with. When you got married, you probably hoped to grow old together. So they, they often cross your boundaries, such as going through your personal belongings without your permission, or you, you just say something simple like, I would prefer to not get this particular, I don't know, even food or go to this place on vacation or, and it's like, well, okay, I, I hear you, but I want to do something different without a the conversation there. Uh, Imagine you tell your partner that you're trying to limit your intake of sugar. So instead of supporting you, now all of a sudden they're doubling down on all kinds of sugary snacks and constantly offering them to you or the kids because they're making light of your commitment instead of that supportive nature. Now, in a narcissistic relationship, somebody with narcissistic traits would not only show disrespect, but they might actively demean or belittle you to elevate themselves. They might actually then start mocking your idea in front of friends. And here comes uh, our old friend gaslighting, making you question your own memories or your own perceptions. And they will tend to be very overly critical, pointing out your flaws, while um, rarely acknowledging any strengths. And they'll do it by talking about playing the role of a devil's advocate, or if I'm saying these things, I actually really care. So let's say that you gain recognition for something at work or in a a group of friends, that narcissistic partner would most likely downplay your achievement or redirect the attention to themselves by bringing up something that they have achieved in the past. So the second thing that Dr. Lee talks about is if it's somebody that you don't respect, Because this leads to mutual respect. Mutual respect is absolutely crucial. So if you can't respect your partner, it can erode the foundation of trust and make open communication really difficult. So in that example in the beginning with Amelia's partner, as she watches him continue to change the narrative and in essence lie about story after story, that's something that is going to cause her to lose respect for him because this is one of those situations where she, he, I would imagine he most likely says, I'm, I always tell the truth in her mind. She's thinking, except for when you don't. So that uh, that concept of somebody that you don't respect if we're looking at an emotionally immature partner you might find yourself um, internally rolling your eyes at their inability to handle stress or their tendency to avoid responsibility like this narcissistic exit that I started off today's episode with so while everybody is going to be emotionally immature on occasion it's that pattern of these behaviors that starts to erode the respect in the relationship so your partner might continue continually uh, forget to pay bills or get out of household responsibilities and you find yourself picking up the slack over and over and and this is where I like introducing this concept of again, we want to get rid of discomfort. we're wired to get rid of discomfort. So sometimes when let's say uh, forgetting to pay bills because that's one that I know back in my more emotionally immature days I was very good at not paying bills and in those scenarios you know then you you even tell yourself or maybe your partner no I get it now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get more organized and I'm going to start writing down reminders or I'm going to put those in my phone. And then what's really fascinating is I believe in that moment I wanted to, or somebody does say, they're, they say, I'm going to do this now. No, I get it. I don't want this to happen again. Whew, so in that moment, we get rid of our discomfort. I feel much better. And then to my wife, I'm sure it was like, okay, all right, well, then then it's gonna something's going to be different now. He, he gets it. But then I wake up the next day and I feel good because the bills are paid. And I said, you know, I don't actually really need to worry about putting in some organizational system now because the bills are paid and we've got a few weeks before they're due again. And so I'll get to it. I'll do it later. Oh, that old chestnut, the old I'll do it later. Uh, That's the way that you can lose respect for your partner if they're continually not following through or not showing up. And I'm working on a, a lot of material for the men's course I've been talking about forever. Look at that. Here's uh there's where something I need to step that part up because I'll do it, I'll do it. now oh, it's no, I'm on it. And uh, but I'll do it later. But in that, talking about the role of consistency and how important that can play in holding that assertive frame. So we're talking about again on this point where it is a lack or somebody that you don't respect, let me give you that narcissistic partner version. So it's challenging to respect somebody who is always self-centered or lacks empathy because you might grow tired of their need for admiration or their inability to consider your needs. So I think the number one example here is how they typically monopolize conversations, or they make very grandiose claims about their abilities, and it makes you start to literally question their grip on reality. And I think that can be one of the biggest challenges of understanding the concepts of confabulation. And I've had situations where I've seen in my office where um, you can watch the spouse, the we'll just say the pathologically kind spouse, start to learn how to recognize gaslighting to stand up for themselves to differentiate to not be as reactive and then say okay I'm confident that this is what we discussed and then to truly watch their partner say I don't at all remember that and and that's where I think this concept of it it can really be a challenge when this when you see somebody truly confabulate something and not be able to take ownership of it Because it does. It makes you sometimes question their grip on reality and you want to feel safe in the relationship and that can be a real challenge. So let's let's take a second and let's just talk about respect because that is one of those things I think it's a word that gets used a lot and I know that I've been asked continually and continually, that's the narcissistic version of, I've been asked on occasion about what I know about respect or what does respect mean in a relationship because I think it gets tossed out and used in a lot of different scenarios. So let's talk about that. Okay, so at its core, I think respect is the acknowledgement and and valuing of another person's feelings. It's valuing their wishes, their rights, their boundaries, and it means recognizing I think here's the key, recognizing your partner, another person's intrinsic worth and their dignity because we are all individuals who deserve to be heard and seen. And valued. And so if somebody truly is so narcissistic or emotionally immature that they have no empathy or not even sympathy for another human being, then it is going to devalue that other person. So respect again. And it might have to be an active thing. If, if you are listening to this and you're waking up to your own emotional immaturity, first of all, well done. And I appreciate that so much. Getting those messages are so powerful, but. It means like you may have to sit with some discomfort and force some curiosity about the other person. And the work that you have to do is to stay engaged and to ask follow-up questions. And then from a differentiated standpoint, why am I not as interested in this person's experience? Why am I so self-centered or centered on self, if that's easier to say right now? Because if I truly want to care about another person or have respect for them, then it's going to take me doing some work to step outside of my own ego and to then really question what my uh, this experience is like for me. So it means, again, recognizing the intrinsic worth and dignity of an individual, irrespective of your differences in opinions or backgrounds or values. I broke down a few things that respect involves. Number one is listening actively. And this is not just hearing, but genuinely paying attention. And valuing the other person's perspective. It doesn't mean you have to agree with them, but back to this concept around differentiation is if they are expressing an opinion and you get angry and want to react, what is it about their opinion that makes you feel like you have to interact or that you have to disagree? When in essence, if you just have a different opinion, then in in interacting with this person, then that's an opportunity for you to recognize that because they feel so passionate about their opinion and it brings something up for me, then maybe I do really feel feel equally passionate about my opinion. Or maybe I want to react because I feel insecure and they, may, they know their opinion better than I do. And if we go back to that world of emotional immaturity or even uh, narcissistic traits and tendencies, the narcissist or the emotionally immature has a hard time respecting that there can be two different opinions because they grow up with that belief that if there's one opinion, And then if somebody else has the other opinion, then that means they think the narcissist opinion is wrong and it is not right, wrong, black, white. They are just two opinions. So that one of those signs I feel confident about of emotional immaturity is that you you have a hard time understanding that that person can have their completely different and separate opinion. And that doesn't mean that yours is wrong or that they're attacking yours. And it doesn't mean that you have to knock down their opinion. Maturity is sitting with that discomfort, having some curiosity and understanding more about that this other person has an opinion. And they they matter as a human being as well. So, that leads to number two and that is understanding boundaries. Recognizing and honoring both your own and the other person's physical, uh, physical boundaries. Uh, that can be the part where it can be in an intimate relationship with another person's body. You are you are not you don't own another person's body, even if you're in a relationship. That's one that I hear so often, and it is not something that builds uh, strength in the relationship. So, a physical boundary. There are also emotional boundaries and mental boundaries. Uh, one of the most powerful sessions I think I've I had in a long time is talking with a couple who they were trying to connect again after some very deep betrayal. And the wife had been through some uh, trauma in her childhood and they were talking about connecting sexually, com- connecting intimately. And there were some boundaries that she had, that, that she had a hard time allowing herself to be fully present uh, sexually because he would break boundaries. And so, she really did say at some point then, hey, I need you to respect my boundary. And that means, and let's just say, don't touch this part of me. And so, then talking with him, It's a. It's an acceptance. It's an acceptance means to accept and take in without defense in its entirety, to accept that I will not touch that area, period. And it's not, I won't touch it so that eventually she'll then relax and then I I will touch it. But it's that respect so that then she can feel safer in their intimate relationship. And then he has all the rest of the body to then um, be present with. And then she feels respected. And so that respect, those boundaries are physical boundaries. They're also emotional boundaries and they're mental boundaries. Number three is honest communication. This one can be so difficult, yet it will sound so simple as I lay this out. But being truthful without being hurtful, even when discussing challenging topics. That a sign of respect and emotional maturity is to be able to have difficult conversations, again, from a work on your own calm, confident self and not having to break down the other person's view or reality it's easy it's it can become easy to express your own opinions and views without having to come in hot as they say or trying to make this person feel bad those are those signs of emotional immaturity that concept of anger as a control mechanism or as manipulation or part of this uh, connecting with another human being is learning how to regulate your own emotions we sometimes hide behind this idea of i'm just so passionate about it passionate or are you trying to flood the other person so that then they don't have a say? Even when discussing challenging topics, being able to be truthful without being hurtful. And then uh, another concept of respect is empathy, which is the ability to understand and try to share the feelings of another. Now, again, I will say that empathy is absolutely a wonderful thing, but if you are somebody who says, I know exactly what you're going through, I've been there too, please Lovingly, uh, don't do that. I was going to say, knock it off, but that sounds pretty aggressive. But one of the challenges I think, as somebody who teaches and preaches empathy on a daily basis, is that no one knows exactly what you're going through. And that is not anything negative. Of course they don't. No one has ever been you um, with all the things that you bring up to that moment in your life. So empathy is, <clears throat> so empathy is, tell me more about what you're feeling. Tell me what that's like for you. Tell me what feelings and emotions this brings up man, that sounds hard. How can I show up for you right now? But it's not trying to fix or it's not judging. It's just being and trying to understand, coming from a place of curiosity. So that really is a way to foster empathy, but it's not saying, I know exactly what you're going through. Trust me, I've been there and here's what worked for me because now I just went from invalidation right off the fixing and judgment. And another concept of valuing respect is, or another concept in, in Learning respect is valuing autonomy, recognizing the other person's right to their feelings, their thoughts, their choices, even if you disagree with them. And that is a very, very powerful place to be with regard to emotional maturity is valuing their autonomy, not just recognizing their autonomy, but valuing it. Because when you can recognize that they absolutely have the right to their feelings, thoughts, choices, the things that they say, their experiences, then that will start to lead to curiosity. And curiosity then starts to lead to a deeper connection and emotional safety. And it's an opportunity for you to self-confront and grow. Self-confront. Why do I feel like I have to defend myself? Why do I have to feel like I want to tell them that they're wrong? They aren't wrong. They are being them. And then that leads to the final concept I want to talk about today. With respect, is that will help you avoid prejudice of treating every individual without bias, I'm not letting stereotypes or prejudices cloud our judgment. And where, whether it's gender, race, LGBTQT issues, whatever it is, your that's a you issue. If you are making judgments about what that person believes or thinks or feels, because giving somebody respect, then again in any of those situations. So now go back and let me run down the list. Listening actively, it is understanding boundaries, their boundaries, honest communication, empathy, valuing their autonomy and avoiding prejudice because those things will lead to respect. And that's where you can truly start to develop deep connection with other people, whether it's your romantic partner, whether it's your business associate, whether it's the next door neighbor, the the friend at church, you name it when you start to um respect the other person and go into it with these these traits of fostering respect you also become a much emotionally safer person and that starts to i really believe starts to exude um, almost in your own the way you show up in situations your your energetic way you present yourself now um let's talk about challenges with uh, with narcissistic or emotionally immature individuals with respect Number one is there's a lack of reciprocity. So too often the narcissist or the emotionally mature demand respect without giving it in return. So they may expect this admiration and compliance without even spending a second recognizing or respecting the needs and the feelings of others. Too often, the narcissist or the emotionally immature cross boundaries. It's when I go through my five things of interacting with somebody who has, is narcissistic or emotionally immature, we got raising your emotional baseline, self-care. We've got uh, getting your PhD in gaslighting, which I received one from the Whole Physicians podcast. Thank you very much. Uh, number three is getting out of unproductive conversations. Number four, setting healthy boundaries. There it is right there. And knowing that when you set that boundary, it becomes a challenge for the truly narcissistic or emotionally immature person. So, they may they may dismiss your feelings or needs or even belittle them. And the reason I bring these pieces up is that, again, I'm trying to plant the seeds today that this is what we all deserve in a relationship, this respect or um, being respected or having respect for the other person. And then here are these challenges. And so, if you are seeing these traits in your partner or if you, uh, quite frankly, can understand that you maybe exhibit these traits then that's the time for growth so it does lead to our old friend gaslighting which we know is a common tactic used by narcissists where they manipulate situations or conversations to make you doubt your memory your perception or your feelings and from a respect frame framework this is inherently disrespectful because it devalues and undermines your experience so, if you look at gaslighting from that respect lens, again, how how disrespectful to try and change up someone else's reality. And one of the other challenges with respect is defensiveness and denial. So, emotionally immature people, they may struggle with taking responsibility for their actions. And so, instead, they will typically deflect blame or they'll become overly defensive when they're confronted. And uh, there's this concept called the the centrality of their perspective. So then given that intense self-focus, then they might always, or might, they will most likely always prioritize their feelings, their opinions, and their needs over others, which makes that mutual respect incredibly difficult. So let's start talking about the importance then of respect in the relationship. So without respect, now the trust in the relationship is eroded, and what we're trying to establish is a foundation of trust. Because in the absence of trust, then genuine intimacy and connection almost become impossible. Because even if you have some love, and we could define what type of love that would be without the respect as we've defined it, then the relationship can still often become toxic because we're operating from a foundation of whether it's uh, physical or, but it's not that emotional intimacy, that safety. So a quick example of this is, and all these are based on true stories. We're going to go with that concept again. So we'll say, uh, we'll call the people Sarah and Mark. So Sarah was open about her past relationships. And this one comes up a lot in in couples therapy where somebody has opened up about their previous relationships because they were previous to the relationship they're in now, which I got to just... Say for the record, sounds very dramatic, that what you have done in previous relationships, I don't feel should play a role in... What is happening in your current relationship because you were not in your current relationship when you were in your previous relationship, which sounds kind of simplistic. But if you, again, if you know, you know, if you are continually having your old relationship held against you as if you were a particular type of person then, and so now it's being held against you now, you're just being and doing going through life for the first time is you. So in this scenario, this will, again, we'll say Sarah, she was open because Mark asked her about her previous relationships and she was open because she thought that that would build trust because again, that was what she had experienced before she was in the relationship with Mark. But then what would happen is when Mark would then get upset or they would argue or fight, then Mark would use that information to belittle her, cast doubts about her decisions. If they had disagreements, then he would pull out the, I mean, he called her bad names from her experiences in previous relationships. And then also Sarah found out that Mark was also sharing these personal stories with his friends. And when that would happen, she felt so betrayed because every time she felt like she could confide in Mark or wanted to confide in him. Now the fear that he might use her words against her or or share them without her consent, that was always hanging out in the back of her mind. And this is that example of with the emotionally immature narcissistic person, then they will promise then they'll never do that again. They really won't until they do because they say, I will never do that again. And no, I get it. And I'm so grateful that you are opening up to me that that sounds amazing and wonderful because it gets rid of the discomfort for both parties in that situation. But then is Mark doing the work to then recognize why he does that? Why does he do that? Is he going on the deep dive? Is he self-confronting? self Is he going to therapy? Is he trying to get help or does he just feel better now? So why on earth would he need help? Because I said, I'll never do it again until I do. So then another reason why trust is so important in a relationship is it also provides emotional safety. And if anybody is watching the YouTube video, then I need to acknowledge the fact that I am no longer wearing large headphones and I don't even know if the background has changed because it's a different time of day. So I just want to be authentic and vulnerable. I went on about 20 minutes and then the software I was using decided that it would take a pause, it's a very kind way of saying that it hung and so i thought i lost the entire file but it was uh, just up until this point so we're 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 not even trying to recreate what was what had happened earlier but i know i gave some some examples that may not come to mind again and that is the reason why it doesn't look the same um, from one minute to the next but i digress we're talking about emotional safety so respect ensures a sense of emotional safety because when you're interacting with somebody who doesn't respect your boundaries or feelings Then, similar to what I just shared in that story of Mark and Sarah, emotional vulnerability can lead to hurt and trauma. So in this scenario, we'll call him Ryan, that he was really opening up about his own struggles with his emotions. He would go to a sad movie and he would cry. And it was so fascinating. We'll call her Karen. Then she would mockingly ask, oh, do you need a tissue? Or she would comment of how men men shouldn't cry. And then over time, Ryan felt so emotionally just stifled that he was afraid to express his feelings without being mocked. But what was, of course, ironic is that there were also times where then when he would try to not be emotional, then she would say, you seem very robotic. And he realized that he was trying to play off of what she wanted versus who he was as a human being. So that um, that absence of emotional safety turned their particular relationship into this continual game of just his own emotional hide and seek. When could he bring him out? When could he not? Another component that having respect, mutual respect in a relationship can provide or bring with it is self-worth. If you are in a relationship where your own feelings, your boundaries, your perspectives are dismissed, it can really start to do a number on your self-worth or your self-esteem. And I mentioned this in Amelia's email earlier. One of the things I had jotted down, I realized was, we'll call her Rebecca. She was a very accomplished writer. And whenever she talked about the things that she did or wrote, it was really interesting because we'll just call him Matt. He would change the subject very quickly. And it got to the point where he never read anything that she wrote. And what we identified was that his own emotional immaturity and then that lack of respect for her, he felt like anything that she wrote was almost like an attack that she was rubbing it in his face, even though that was her job, her talent, that that if she wrote something that it meant that he wasn't as good of a writer where when we finally got that out in therapy it just made it made it didn't make a lot of sense to her but in his mind it was that all or nothing or black or white thinking thinking that black or white thinking i remember at one point he had said that he didn't feel like writing was a real job and she was actually bringing in more than he was so that one was fascinating we were able to sit with a little bit of that discomfort on his end and and identify that he That was a little bit of projection because he felt like, well, I have a real job and I should be making more money. And But the problem was the way that he was presenting his emotional immaturity, it started to cause Rebecca to doubt her skills and her ability to write. And then her own self worth started to plummet, which was a big component of what she wrote about was things that just she exuded confidence in. And so when she started questioning if she was even a good writer, then that was, it broke my heart. So without that mutual respect in the relationship, it it ate away at her self-worth. I think a couple more things here. One is when you've got this uh, respect in the relationship or a lack of respect, but, and and I hesitated almost putting this one in because it's this concept of constructive growth. And this is one where even in challenging relationships, if you have the mutual respect, then it's, this is where I I say we're so afraid of contention that we avoid tension altogether. But when you are growing emotional maturity muscles together, then that tension is where growth occurs because that's where you really start to learn to, to sit with the discomfort, lean into each other, recognize. Recognize that you're two different individuals with two completely different experiences in life that bring you up to that moment. So then of course, you're going to have different thoughts and opinions and feelings. And so that is where you start to to develop those emotional safety muscles and and that's where a lot of the growth really occurs. I look at that as constructive growth, but that's only going to come when you have mutual respect. So again, mutual respect paves the way for these constructive conversations, these connected conversations using my four pillars because if I can really go to somebody and I have the confidence, the emotional safety to know that I'm going to express something and that other person has already they've already checked their my pre-pillar, their the observation and judgments. They're observing how I'm showing up and they're noticing that they want to make a judgment about it. They want to say, Oh, I bet that this is what they mean, but that's a them issue. So they're separating that observation and judgment and now they're assuming good intentions. So whatever I'm going to bring into the conversation, I am not trying to hurt them. They cannot tell me that I'm wrong. My pillar two, even if they think that's the case because they can, that's their own experience leads to my pillar three questions before comments. Now they can say, Hey, tell me more about that. Where I'm going to feel safe. I'm going to feel heard and understood. And then that's where a lot of times the discomfort comes in. And so that person in listening is that's where they may have that desire to want to do a head dive into the bunker of safety, but they need to stay present. Don't go into that victim mindset. Don't do all the work to assume good intentions and not tell the other person they're wrong and then sit with that discomfort as they ask questions before making comments and then all of a sudden just feel emotionally overwhelmed and say, okay, no, you're right. I'm just a bad person. You know, that's that breaking of my pillar four. So that's where you can see that we got to have this mutual respect in order to get to these constructive conversations, which I believe that everybody is deserving of. Okay. So now we're right back to the Dr. Lee concept. So we're going to go through these quickly because I know I've taken a little more time than I had meant to get to this point, but things that you deserve to have in your relationship, playing off of his list of 10 as, as my muse, he talked about that you you don't want to find yourself in a relationship with somebody that you don't understand. So I'm going to, I'm going to say that if your relationship has gotten to the point where communication is a challenge, then that's something that we need to take a look at because in general, communication is the, it is the bridge between two people in the relationship. So without the communication, then it's like trying to to cross a big old chasm or gorge without any kind of bridge. You're just two people over on the other side just shouting at each other. So with with the way that would look like with an emotionally immature person is they might not be very adept at expressing their feelings or they might um, deflect really deep conversations and you may be desiring these deep conversations. Uh, At times they might give vague answers. They're gonna change the subject frequently if it has to do with anything where they may feel like they don't know as much as you or more than you. And so you might feel that even sometimes after long conversations, you're still not on the same page because there's a lack of curiosity and there's a lack of understanding or respect or hearing or empathy. And if you are trying to really say, Hey, I want to hear you. I want to see you and trying to understand why maybe somebody is upset and they are just continually going back to the nothing. I don't know. It will continually leave you in the dark about their feelings. And over time we evolved to go to this place of where I'm not going to continue to put myself in a position to feel unheard, unseen, or disconnected. And then oftentimes we say, but it'll be better, I don't know, later when the kids are older, when they're out of the house, when we have more money. And that's where we're just continually kicking that can down the road. And number five is we don't deserve to be in a relationship where somebody doesn't even make an effort because in general, a relationship requires effort from both parties to grow and thrive. And I think this is what I see in my office more often than not. I was going to say the most and do a big old all or nothing statement, but it's where even when people come in to work with me, one of them is typically more invested than the other. The other one is saying, okay, fine, I'll go. And so you can already see that with that attitude, it can be a real challenge because people have to be open and and willing to admit that they don't know what they don't know and be open to understanding that there are tools that they may not have. And this is that concept I think is so fascinating where people are coming in and they're paying me to help them with their relationship. And this is what I do. And I've got all this content out that I feel very confident about. But then when they come to me, some people are going to continually argue with me and try to convince me. That, I don't know, that their, that their relationship is not worthy of having a connection or, well, it's all this other person. So what am I supposed to do? I, I could do a whole episode on that, but to the immature partner, then they might show a lack of effort in planning and you name it dates, remembering occasions, daily gestures of affection. So the responsibilities continue to fall on you. And then they might then start avoid, uh, or not start, but they've been avoiding discussing or working on relationship problems. And this one's hard. I'm going to be talking about this more in the coming months. But if somebody is already not doing the work and you're already the one that's doing the majority of the work and you're trying to carry that person into therapy or into improving the relationship, I'm not trying to say that, well, there's all the data you need. But it can be even more frustrating if that person is not even looking at ways to improve the relationship and if they are doubling down on withdrawal or control or that sort of thing. So that can be a real challenge. Number six, Dr. Lee talks about if you, again, he's, I'll stop prefacing this, but saying he's talking about don't get into a relationship with someone who is not fully available. Number six, but I'm talking about if you found yourself in the relationship with your partner who now is not available because availability is about more than just being physically present. It's about being emotionally and mentally present and committed to the relationship. So, if they're the way emotional immaturity shows up in this way, is the availability might be from uh, unresolved past relationships or fears or commitment issues. That person may continually have frequent mood swings or being available one moment and then very distant the next. And they could be evasive about the future, or they're trying to avoid just interacting in general, out in public, or just doing things. Like they're just being so withdrawn. And so if that person, then in that scenario, uh, they're not fully available. And I love a concept by a therapist that I've had on my virtual couch podcast a few times. I, I really enjoy her work, Dr. Jennifer finlayson Fife, And she talks so much about choosing, choosing your partner and being chosen. And she'll often say that if somebody is not being chosen, then are they choosable? And if they are and that other person is continuing not to choose them, then that eventually is a them issue. Because if you get yourself into a position where you are willing to work on the relationship, you are working on yourself, you're showing up and leaning in and trying your best because that's what it feels like to be you. And that other person is not opting in or choosing into the relationship. Then a lot of times that is the rule out that you need because you've done all the work that you can. Which almost leads a little bit into number seven. If you find yourself in a relationship with somebody you cannot trust because we'll, this one is simply stated trust is a foundation for a relationship because without it, your interactions are going to be tainted with doubt and insecurity. Now I can now completely go against what I just said. And at times, if you look in the world of acceptance and commitment therapy, if there's been things like betrayal or it's almost like we trust until that trust is broken. And then there almost is this acceptance, which means taking in without defense in its entirety, that that I may not fully be able to trust my partner moving forward. That doesn't mean then that I cannot and the relationship is over. But if I'm continually beating myself up about is this a time where I should be trusting or not trusting or why didn't I trust or shouldn't I have trusted more? then you're going to drive yourself crazy. So the acceptance for a while that, Hey, I'm, I'm not going to trust this person because there has been some betrayal in the relationship, but I'm going to show up. I'm going to show up and I'm going to be present and I'm going to be doing all the things I can do to be the best version of me in the relationship. And then, because at some point then, and this is where this kind of gets a little bit deep of, we, we truly aren't aware completely of what our partner is doing, what they're thinking, what they could be doing. And so that can be scary But once you accept the fact that they may be operating from their own uh, place, their own agenda, that there's an acceptance of that, then I know that I'm going to show up and be the very best version that I can be. I am of worth. I am lovable. I am, I am choosable. So if he or she is not choosing me then that's a them issue because I'm incredibly choosable. Oh, I'm trying not to say I am kin enough from the Barbie movie, but I think I, I just said it. There's a couple more. Somebody who cannot communicate honestly. Honest communication is the key to really resolving conflicts, understanding each other's perspectives. That one in particular, if you're really just trying to express even low charge topics, but you're unable to be completely open and honest with your partner about where you really want to go to dinner, then that's something that might need a little bit of work. Because that's why I often say my four pillars, I think, are, are manna from heaven. They're, they're relationship gold. But we need to start using them with the low-charge topics. Because if we're trying to jump right up to the high-charge topics, there can be so much emotional baggage that comes along with it that it can be really difficult to stay present when talking about my top five high-charge topics. We have sex, politics, religion, finances, and parenting. But it would be good to just start talking more about our hopes and dreams and be able to express my true desires, what I've always thought or wondered or, or wished, even if that's not what my partner anticipates that I would say. And number nine, somebody who is not your go-to person. And that kind of goes along as well with number 10, somebody who you don't feel a strong connection to. And I think that for the population that that I'm working with, that we're just trying to figure out emotional immaturity or narcissistic traits and tendencies, as you are starting to develop your own sense of self and and show up in a way that is going to feel almost off because you are recognizing, again, that you're enough and you are of worth and you deserve a connected conversation and mutual respect in the relationship. Then right now there might be an acceptance that that the person that you are with is not going to feel like your go-to person and, and you may not feel that strong connection. So that's where I'm not trying to dismiss these two things, but I think it's important to just make note of that because those first seven or eight that we're talking about might be the things that you may have more control over. Not that I'm trying to talk about control in a bad way, but things that you can start to work on because then if you work on those becoming that best version of you and all those other things that that I could talk about right now, I'm saying that from a place of they'll sound so cliched, that you are enough, that you're lovable, that you deserve to have your own thoughts and opinions, that then as you start to express that, then if your partner then shows up because you've changed the dynamic in the relationship then they may begin to be your go-to person. They may begin to be somebody that you feel a strong connection with. So I'm just gonna skip past those last two from Dr. Lee, but I want you to know you deserve every bit of the things that we've talked about today of a connection in the relationship. And if you find yourself in a relationship that is not containing these items, this connection, then that does not mean that there is anything wrong with you. It does not mean that that everything is doom. As as I go back to the very tenants that started this podcast, that if you are worried about your partner possibly being emotionally immature or even narcissistic, or even that is where you're recognizing that you are. Then I think it's really important that uh, if you are reading that, okay, if these things are not available in your relationship, then run. I get it. I understand. And if you need to, then do. But I feel like the I'm starting to resonate with more and more people who aren't sure. They're just not sure what's right in their relationship. So I want to provide you with this information. And then if you are trying to have more of this connection in your relationship and it is not going well and you feel less than, please, please get help. Actually, please get help before it even gets to that point. Individual help might be even more important than trying to get couples help, which is where our default seems to go. But you need to be the best version of you to even show up to be able to show up for a couples a couples counseling sessions. But uh, sometimes people want to start there, and uh, your journey is going to be your journey. But uh, please know that I, I see you. I know you're trying. If you're listening, especially I always say, if you make it to the end. Some special. You're in a in a special club of really trying to figure as much out as you can to make your relationship or make you better. If you have questions, comments, please send them in. Contact at tonyoverbay.com. I would love to answer questions if I can. I answer them over on the Waking Up to Narcissism Premium Question and Answer Podcast. So I would be honored if you would join me over there. And I'll see you next time on Waking Up to Narcissism. Have a great week.